Well, happy uh, happy Wednesday. I'm excited uh, excited for the show. Yeah, yeah, happy Wednesday, man. I mean, let's just get right into it. We had some issues getting things set up, but uh, we'll bring everyone on. There. Well, I think before we do that, let's kind of just uh, you know set the stage a little bit. Um, so we Tony um, kind of how logistics goes. Tony had three people call off today, so he's loading trucks. Uh, so he may or may not join us. Um, that's to be determined. Um, John and Jose are here. Um, Jose is going to be here for about 30 minutes or so. Um, and then he has an appointment. Um, so if you see him go off the screen, that's why. So, um, but yeah, we're excited. Um, Jose and John are backstage and Tony, um, if you can get done with the loading the trucks. Um, you guys know logistics happens. He'll be, uh, he'll be on here as well. Yeah. I mean, it's better than paying detention and, you know, trucking never really sleeps. So what can you do? Yeah, no, definitely. Well, let's, uh, Let's get going. How's it going, guys? Hey, John. Hey, Jose. Hey, Alex. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jose. Jose, can you hear us? Maybe we're still hitting some some of those technical difficulties with Jose. Yeah, that's that's uh, it, that's kind of how logistics goes sometimes. Um, we were still working on some sound sound issues on Jose's uh, Jose's end. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess you want to start, John, maybe just kind of give us a little bit of your background, um, you know, in logistics and you know, kind of what you do. Sure, absolutely. Um, been in the business for quite a quite a while. The, the back half of my career has been mostly food. Uh, currently, I'm the director of distribution and logistics for CKE Restaurants. They own the Carl's Jr. and Hardy's brand, and I handle all the domestic uh, U.S. distribution. You say Harvey's? Hardee's. Hardee's. Yeah, because no, in Canada we have a Harvey's burger place. It's pretty good. <laughs> no, it's it's Hardee's. I was gonna say I haven't heard of uh, I haven't heard of Harvey's in Canada. That must be a Canadian uh, Canadian yeah, restaurant. I've never heard of Hardee's, but Harvey's I have. Um, so I think we spoke a little bit about this. You deal mostly the food, the reefer freight, mostly. Mostly, yes. Okay. And uh, Jose also is on, you know, spent some time on OK Foods um, dealing, I believe, Jose with chicken, right? Was the main um, main commodity you guys shipped? He looks surprised. <laughs> Let I me see if I can message Jose in the chat. Uh, we seem to be having some heavy delay somehow with him. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's an Internet issue. Or I'm yeah. really not sure. I mean, yeah, that's that's part of a uh, part of the part of logistics. Um, Hardy's breakfast is five stars. <laughs> now I'm interested. I might have to go Google what is Hardy's after this. I think Jose's getting uh, getting ready. Maybe he can catch that McDonald's Wi-Fi, man. That was the the dream here. <laughs> Possibly, maybe. I mean, John, maybe uh, while we, we try to figure out this Jose situation, um, I guess we'll start with the carrier questions. I know a lot of our viewers are going to probably be focused more on, on the brokerage side of things. And I want to know about sales things, but I figure the carrier side is pretty quick. Um, I guess like the, the main question carriers have been asking me to ask on this show would uh, be about the tension policy. How does that kind of work with you guys? Uh, typically, you know, uh, a carrier, if they're due detention, they'll send us an email requesting detention. If it's, if it's clean, then we will, uh, 
we'll go ahead and authorize it for payment and get it paid as quickly as possible. Yeah, so then the follow-up question they always had, and I guess what carriers deal with the most, is hearing, oh, we have to wait for the customer to approve it. Um, how long does it take typically? Oh, hold, hold on one second. I think Jose is trying to go. Yeah, I hear it's like so quiet. Um, hmm. Not really sure how to solve this. I don't know what, what, what can I do here. I mean, mic settings. Maybe I can turn him up a little bit. We're having some heavy difficulties with him with with this situation. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Alex. Go on with your with your question. I'll, I'll message Jose and see if we can we can work it out. So, yeah. Um, I mean, basically, carriers always ask. You know, we always hear we're waiting for the customer to approve the pension. How long does that typically take if it's clean? Like, let's for example, it's super clean. You already know they owe the, you know they're owed the pension. We can improve. We can approve it um, less than an hour after we receive the email. So a typical turnaround on approval would be like one business day, something like that. At the most, yes. At the most, yeah. Um, the only other question, really, that I have personally, um, a huge question: If you guys damage a trailer somehow um, on loading, how does that kind of? How do you go about dealing with that? Do you kind of deflect that towards the broker to to deal with the carrier about that? Or should the carrier reach out directly to you guys, the shipper? Typically, uh, we use third-party um, third-party logistics providers for our distribution. So, we would let the the carrier and the dis distribution center work it out between them, and usually insurance takes over and pays that bill. Okay, yeah, I mean that's fair. Um, I guess kind of backing up on the detention thing too, and I I, I was helping Jose, so I might have missed a little bit of it. Um, but you know, if you're using a broker, for example, on a load and the carrier is requesting detention, um, you know, the process between you and the broker, you know, is generally done pretty quickly on approving detention or it's a pre, you know, pre policy in the sense where it, it doesn't take, you know, a week for the broker to need to approve the carrier's detention. Correctly. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't wait a week on anything, man. <laughs> I mean, my carrier friend asked me specifically, um, he's been waiting about two weeks for customer approval. So, I mean, I guess customer to customer might vary, but um, I mean, you sound like a stand-up guy. If you can get it done same day, that's always great. I, I think someone just made a comment. I mean, it's standard operating. I'm sure Hardy's has SOPs that cover all accessorial charges. So it's not, you know, like John's probably getting 10 emails a day. You know, can we approve this attention from this load in you know, Iowa. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it really, <clears throat> to me, it boils down to maintaining the relationship. Um, and I figure if I pay them as quickly as I possibly can, as long as it's legit, then that strengthens that relationship so I can maintain my capacity and my yeah, Definitely strengthens the relationship with carriers. I mean, if you can get accessorials, you know, solved same day, that's not something huge, something we would all, always appreciate. Um, also, we have this comment. Maybe this might help help Jose out. I don't know if he's on Bluetooth by any chance. Yeah, I just I turned it off right now. Can you hear me now? Oh, oh yes. Wow. yes. <laughs> Fantastic. You are. I actually I'm was I'm the problem. A few questions right off the get-go, and thank you. For, <laughs> I, I haven't used Steam here on the very much yeah 
Um, so a couple of the questions that uh, Alex was asking were on the detention policy um, and then on, you know, damaged trailers. I don't know if you were able to hear those questions. Did we lose them again? I thought we were good. Did he turn the Bluetooth back on? Uh, might be. He can hear us. I think it might just be on a delay. Jose, is it on a delay? What an now? Oh. Yeah, now we can hear you. Yep. <laughs> I feel like we're just playing cat and mouse. Man. Like he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. That's that's part of uh part of technology. Um well, I guess um if you want to bring up because how about now? Am I good? Uh oh. you're good now, yep. I think we just maybe have you on a little bit of a delay for You might try to come in and come back out. Um, but I, Alex, if you want to bring up the first question, I got to kind of go in the broker angle. Um, and I thought this was kind of an interesting, interesting email um, or a question to ask. But, you know, why do you think more shippers don't respond to sales emails with an immediate no if they aren't interested in the offered services? A lack of response could lead to more follow up when that could be quickly ended by declining interest. I, I I don't know if I agree with that because I've had some where I've told them that, hey, you know, we don't have anything or we're not interested. And some people out there just can't take no for no. So <laughs> if, if the results are the same, I just soon save some keystrokes. How how uh, do you have any you know things that kind of come to mind with that? You know, when you have had said no and then, you know, you just have relentless or you know, I guess you know, kind of maybe talk a little bit about that for there's probably some brokers are out there like, well, how do I prove that I'm, you know, serious about wanting to do business with you? Um, you know, how would I guess kind of maybe talk a little more on that? I mean, I guess the best way to phrase it, I saw it on LinkedIn today was um, where's the line drawn between being like persistent and just kind of, I guess, for lack of a better words, being annoying. Like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, that is that is a good question. If, if usually if I tell somebody that, you know, you know, let's 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 make an example here. And I know this is not a real good example, but uh, we don't ship any small parcel. So if a small parcel carrier uh, reaches out to me or a small parcel service and I tell them, hey, we don't ship any care, you know, we don't ship any parcels and they continue to reach out to me over time, you know, whether it's once a week, once a month, whatever, that's annoying. Um, if it's, hey, you know, if it's something like, hey, I don't have anything right now, but we're going to do an RP in 2024, please check with me back at X time. If they if they follow instructions and check back with me at X time, then that's fine. If they follow up with me 15 times before X time, then that's annoying. So it's it's I'm a really pretty simple guy to deal with. Um, it's. You know, if I if I ask you to do something, I expect you to do it. And there's reasons why I expect you to do it, because, you know, my schedule is is jam packed. Um, I can tell you right now, today has been uh, death by meetings. So, um, you know, I'm constantly moving stuff out. And, and, and usually by midweek, uh, I'm I'm my schedule is booked. I mean, I am booked for the week and probably starting to fill up next week. So, and it's not just, you know, it's not just external solicitation calls. I mean, I've got projects in here that I'm working on. 
I've got internal departments that rely on me. My distributors rely on me. My franchisees rely on me. So I'm getting pounded all day long. And if, if I ask you to, you know, reach back out to me in a month or two and you don't take the hint, then that's annoying. And kind of going, because you were talking about, you know, being so being busy. And I think that's what a lot of brokers don't realize. I mean, very little of your day is actually dealt with, you know, dealing with carriers and, and brokers. But what is, I think the second part of the question we had up there is, you know, what from, you know, your perspective is the best way to communicate with a shipper? Would it be email, phone, LinkedIn? Um, you know, uh, they said, don't contact me at all. It doesn't count as an answer, I guess. Don't contact me at all. doesn't count. I, me personally, I would probably say uh, LinkedIn, number one, because I would want you to start trying to build that relational foundation. And then email would be second. Uh, I can answer 10 emails in the time I can take a 10 minute phone call. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think that kind of ties into the freight market now that it's been uh, so fast. A lot of brokers have moved to, to dealing with, with spot loads through email. Because like you said, you can hit so many more emails uh, as opposed to phone calls. Kind yeah, of going I, down I, that. Or go ahead, John, sorry. I, I have a very small team. So we're, we're almost in a constant state of triage. So I don't have time for long-winded phone calls. You know, even even a 10-minute phone call is, like I said, I could have solved four or five problems somewhere else by then. So I have to manage my time very, very effectively. And kind of going down that, that path, too, you know, of time, because I, I know you and I have talked about this. I mean, there's good and bad, you know, LinkedIn messages and you know we've seen some shared on here too. You said LinkedIn's your preferred way. What you know what are some things you know that you think brokers if they're going to use LinkedIn or email you know should be saying and what are some things they definitely shouldn't be saying um, you know in that sense. Yeah definitely don't uh, do the spray and pray. Um, (laughs) No copy paste emails or I guess no no copy paste emails you know it's it's, you know, you and Matt, you're absolutely right. We've, we've talked about this. If you're going after a specific shipper, um, you know, a target, if you will, then you need to do your research. I mean, there's a ton of stuff on social media. There's a ton of stuff about the company. Uh, you can, you can Google me and find all kinds of stuff, including the fact that I write supply chain parody songs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so you, I mean, the information is right there at your fingertips. And then once you introduce yourself, you know, speak, speak towards, you know, at least understand what my company does. You know, if if you say, you know, hey, you guys, you know, you guys haul a lot of fried chicken. Well, probably not. (laughs) We, we, We do a lot of burgers. So there's no, there's no reason not to do your homework. There's, you know, don't take shortcuts. Um, be transparent, be genuine in your approach, be humble. I mean, especially if you're dealing with old dogs like me, I mean, we've been around for a few years and there's a reason we've been around for a few years is because this industry uh, has probably tried to take us out more than once and we're still, and we're still living. So, you know, that, that, that's worth some respect there. Uh, So be a little, be a little humble. Um, Usually some of the, most of the, most of the things I get on LinkedIn, even if they're, even, even if they're going to end up being a solicitation start out is usually with somebody who's young in the industry and they said, Hey, you know, 
I was wondering if you could give me some pointers or I was wondering if I could run my pitch past you and you tell me what you think. You know, you're trying to better yourself. You're trying to get better at what you do. Uh, that resonates with me personally because you're, you're not being lazy. You're trying to think outside the box. You're talking to shippers. Um, and a lot of shippers don't talk to people, by the way. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're willing to put your, you know, you're kind of putting yourself out there on a limb. Cause I mean, you don't really know me. You don't know, you know, if I'm in a good mood or a bad mood, you don't know if I eat salesman for lunch. Um, so you, you're putting yourself out there and, and I respect that. And if you're trying to get better at your craft and, and better at what you do and, and taking care of your customers, then I, I more than likely I will make time for that. I liked what you said about the, you know, the research thing. Cause I mean, you and I have, you and I have talked about this and I, I see this kind of debated on LinkedIn back and forth. And, and I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer, but would you say it's more important for someone to do their research, you know, know about your company and what you do, or is it more important for them to find a value? Like, you know, say you have trouble on X, Y, Z, Lane, and you know, probably the correct answer is a little bit of both, but I mean, kind of, you know, speak on that because there's, you know, sometimes you hear back and forth on LinkedIn, you know, is it better, you know, to show, you know, that you've done your research and your homework, or is it better to, you have to have a, some type of pitch, you know, saying that you can solve XYZ problem? I mean, which, which one would you kind of, you know, gravitate? If, if you can, initial, the initial re reach out, I would say, uh, research company and, um, per individual, but if you can, you know, if you can try to figure out what's keeping them up at night and maybe put that into a, a secondary or, you know, maybe that's a team's call. I don't know if you can do, you know, if you can try to figure that out, um, that's, that's really good. Um, the thing I don't like is, you know, people, I always tell, I always tell brokers and carriers and shippers, you know, differentiate yourself, separate yourself from the pack. And that's really hard to do because all of us are just trying to get craft from point A to point B. You know, some bells and whistles. I mean, that's like the best point. Like it's, you're just trying to get something from A to B. How do you differentiate yourself? And as a carrier, like what are pain points? I hear that, that conversation a lot. Try to solve a pain point with a shipper. But like, what, what would that even consist of, you know? It could be different things. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. Okay, um, and I don't. I, I I apologize. I don't know what the outbound California market is looking at right now. But yeah, hey, I was there. It's not good. <laughs> okay, it's still not. Good. It's okay. really not good. <laughs> so, if you do your research, you'll figure out where Carl's Jr. basically resides. And then you can also figure out the footprint and then you figure out that if I'm distributing out of California into say Arizona or um, New Mexico or, or even El Paso for that matter, um, that might, that's a pain point. And that's, that's a niche from a capacity and from a, even from a, uh, a, a financial standpoint, you may be, that may be something your company's good at. Maybe they got inbound coming into Cali all the time and you need some outbound anyway, and you can give them a sustainable rate and you can always have a truck for them and you can present that to them without even having to ask them. The thing, the thing I get asked a lot, and I mean a lot is what are your problem lines? Well, 
basically what you're telling me, and this is me speaking personally, basically you're telling me that you want me to do your homework for you <laughs> and then pay you to answer a question that I've already answered. I'm, I'm very happy to be a carrier and have asked you that and not be doing the job that I should have done to, to know that. So, <laughs> so the, the, the other piece of it is, is from a relational standpoint, you want to be empathetic. Okay. You know, they're a human being, you know, they have good days, bad days. They have stuff they like to do. They have stuff they don't like to do whole nine yards, just like you. So instead of asking, you know, what are your, what are your problem lanes? You know, ask them what keeps you up at night. That's more empathetic. I would resonate better with that because that means, hey, he actually, he or she is actually concerned about me and they want to provide a solution if they can to help me sleep better at night. Yeah, it's not hey, robotic and it's not so corporate of a, of a question. It's on a more personal level. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that the most common question you would say you get? that's a mistake is, you know, what are, you know, what are your problem lanes or what are your problem situations without doing research? Would you say that's the most common mistake of a email you get? That, that one there gets asked a lot. Um, the other one is, Hey, can you shoot me some of your lanes and let me quote on them? Well, you know, if I had time to do that, I would just send out an RFP. Um, but it's, you know, and I'm, I'm being a little, I'm being a little sarcastic about it but yeah you know those 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 two right there just get under my skin and it's probably because everybody and their brother asks the same thing and and nobody's willing to step out and say hey you know i'm i'm so and so you know we've got a, a carrier over here or somebody over here who can haul for you um looks like you may be having some trouble out of california but is that something that would keep you up at night that's completely you basically said the same thing but it was a completely different approach. Yeah, it's the way that you say things. Yeah, the um, tone and the and the way, you know, the way. Just so I can understand a little bit better, because um, like I told you before we got on the show, I'm not very familiar with what you do. Um, how many brokers or carriers directly do you use typically? Like how much volume are you really putting out there? How many companies do you work with uh, typically? Right now, um, we do not control the majority of our freight. I'm working on that to change that. Um, but we do use, we probably, I'd say we have probably six to eight brokers slash carriers right now. And, and the reason I don't have a large pool is because I don't have a lot of freight right now that I manage. And I don't want to bring on 20 carriers and only be able to feed six to eight because that's not right. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, once we start gaining control, which we're looking in 24 to do, uh, once that gets bigger, then we'll bring on. I don't want to ask too many people to the table because I don't want anybody to starve. Yeah. I mean, that's like a really fair answer in this market. I think volumes down um, just in general, let alone if it's down out of your control reasons. Um, now, would like as a shipper, would you guys say you'd rather work with a brokerage? Like, let's say for, for an example, would you rather use one broker that can, you know, handle most of your freight, let's say 90% of it, or would shippers rather use a few smaller carriers that they're familiar with directly? Like, how does that how does that look as a shipper? For me personally, I like to use what I would probably call more of a hybrid plan, depending on your volume. If you're if you're obviously a, a, a large shipper, you're going to have to have some of the bigger asset players slash brokers. 
but my last company we did, I think we had 40 million in spend and I had, I had carriers who only had two trucks. I had yeah. carriers who only had six trucks. I had a guy who used to haul for me to, down to public supermarkets in uh, Florida. He had six trucks. He didn't, he never, he never did not have a load because he took such good care of Publix and Publix was a, <laughs> was a challenge as a customer. So he knew how to take care of them. He, he, he took it. He, t- I never heard anything. I never heard any problems. So I just, you know, I kept him going, but at the same time we've had, you know, we had some large brokers and large, large carriers. What I try to do, what I think my job is part of my job is it's my job to understand what my supply chain looks like from coast to coast or all around the globe. And it's my job to partner with carriers and brokers that fit in little patchwork pieces of that network that they get the lanes they want. You know, it's something that they're good at. Uh, It's a niche player for them. And we get sustainable rates, sustainable capacity. That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to put the right carrier or the right broker in the right lane at the right time for the right so price. You want to like envision like sort of like a quilt, you know, just patching one carrier exactly. for this type of lane, this type of lane. Just once you put it together, you get the blanket, you get the, you know, all, all the freight moved that way. And you, Absolutely. Now you touched on something too. I mean, that with the public's driver, you know, you weren't hearing problems. Um, I think you and I have talked about this before too, but I mean, you, it comes back to you from, you know, third-party facilities, you know, places you're shipping out of, you know, if there's a, you know, broker that is rolling loads or is has a driver that's causing issues. I mean, those type of problems, you know, come back to you, right? I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of brokers sometimes and carriers think, well, they might not find out about that, but those are you know, issues that, you know, get back to you, right? Logistics sees all sins. It's a very, very profound statement right there. So, so, so the broker or the carrier that comes to me before my customer does and says, Hey, this got, you know, the truck broke down, but we are sending another power unit. We're going to be 30 minutes late. We've already notified the, the, the constantly just want to let you know in case your customer calls, but we got to, we got to work it. We got to fix in progress and we're taking care of it that carrier is probably going to do quite well with me because the last thing I hate doing, having to do is have my customer call me up and chew me out and it completely catch me off guard. Yeah. I mean, I think carriers and what I tell any dispatcher that wants to get into to this business or that's worked under me or even just coworkers, like it makes a lot more sense and it's, it just shows your integrity to tell a broker. I'll tell a broker three, four hours in advance, I'm slightly delayed at this delivery. I don't want to tell you in two hours that I'm going to have a problem. Maybe you should recover it now. You have four or five hours. And there's a good chance I'll still make the pickup, but I'd rather be honest and talk to the broker and say, hey, do you want to try to recover it? Do you want to roll the dice with me? I can keep you updated every 30 minutes. And I feel like being honest about things and not letting it get to the point where, like you said, your customer is calling you instead of me calling you. Um, I think that's a big thing. So. I, I completely 100% agree. Uh, that's the transparency I'm talking about. As a, another portion of my job is if you do make that phone call to me, like you just gave the example, there could be things behind the scenes that I can work out with my customer and say, oh, the delay's not a big deal. We're running behind on labor. Uh, it'll be, a, you know, 
it'll work out best for us. So there's there's things that shippers can do behind the scenes yeah. to to work with carriers and brokers, but they only can help them if they know something's wrong. And if yeah. you don't tell them, then they can't. I, I don't know how many shippers partner with their carriers and brokers. I partner with mine because at the end of the day, if if my load does not deliver to my customer on time and intact, then I lose. So as far as I'm concerned, you guys are my partners. If we don't make it happen, it doesn't happen. And it's on all of us. So it's, you know, if you, if, if it's your mistake or your failure, it's on me. If it's my mistake, my failure, it's on, it's on me too. So it benefits me to try to help my, my carriers and my brokers be as seamless to my customers as possible. No, it really leads me into one of my final questions I had pre-written for this. Um, I've run into a bunch of situations where, you know, I'm going to be two hours, three hours late for something, or let's say something goes wrong, some traffic, we missed the cutoff. Um, how likely are you, like you and your team, to, to be able to get somebody, hey, can you guys wait one, two hours for a truck on a Friday? Or can you come in just, you know, one shift Saturday morning for an hour to unload a guy? So he can keep moving. How how often, you know, how, how likely are you guys to do stuff like that? We we do not do it often because it but that's because it does not happen often. Oh fair. Um, but we have done that. Uh usually those those products coming in on those trucks are very much needed. Uh it's it's almost like a JIT type situation. And yes, we will pay overtime to a crew on Saturday to unload the truck. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, like you said, it doesn't happen often. It's very unfortunate when it does. But like you said, usually if it's like, let's say, example, production load, um, it, it's a lot easier to, to get a shipper or a receiver to, to come in after hours when, when the product's very much needed. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, that's one of the things kind of I was, I was alluding to when I said there's things that we can do as a shipper that maybe, you know, maybe a broker or a carrier can't do because they don't have that reach of influence. Uh, would, I mean, I, I think a lot of things we're talking about, I mean, boil down to communication. Would I mean, would you say that's, you know, the biggest problem and the biggest asset, you know, that, you know, someone can kind of bring to the table, you know, once they've, you know, kind of got an opportunity with you? I would say communications, number one, and transparency slash integrity is number two. Yeah. Maybe maybe kind of touch on that you know on that third thing because you you've been around you know you've been around logistics for a while and you know there's a lot <laughs> talked about in integrity and you hear different things there can you maybe give us some you know examples you know over your career of bad examples of integrity or you know good just so because I think there's honestly some brokers that are trained to do things unfortunately and you and I have talked about this but not with integrity maybe kind of give a couple examples of what those things look like it should go without saying but i i'm not sure it does in every case well let me let me start out with a positive example okay and this one so um i was around for 9 11. uh that was not a good day to be in logistics not a good week to be in logistics not a good probably a couple three weeks in being logistics and i was actually shipping um magazines for a, a, a printer up in chicago uh, I wasn't in Chicago, but I, I was at their DC in Memphis and we were shipping um, magazines all over the Southeast. Right. And I had this one little carrier, one little broker. And every day he would take uh, 
like three to five stop pedal runs down to Louisiana for me, hauling magazines down there. And he was bringing chemicals back for pesticides for Monsanto. And the minute they ripped every plane out of the sky, the minute the government ripped every plane out of the sky, FedEx went out, started paying $5 a mile, all miles, round trip, all of them. And the dispatcher of this brokerage called me up and said, hey, uh, we just lost our trucks. We can't haul your loads for today. Of course, I was not happy. So I'm sitting here, you know, I'm just, I'm pounding the phones because my, 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 my material is surprisingly time sensitive. Um, and probably about a half hour later, the sales rep for that same brokerage called me and he says, do you still have those two Louisiana loads? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, uh, we'll take them. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, what, what changed your mind? He said, well, I reminded my dispatcher that sooner or later those planes are going to get back up in the air, but the shipper you just screwed will find somebody else to haul the loads. <laughs> that's that's integrity. I mean, it's funny. Like, it's a funny situation because that's like you already know going into that, that it's going to be somewhat of a short, short period of time that that's going to be an inconvenience. So whoever made that executive decision to say, hey, let's let's respect the shipper. You know, this is going to be one, two, three weeks, a month, maybe two months down the road. He's going to remember us. He's going to want to use us again. I mean, that's a really good call. So, so if you think about it, that story that I just shared with you is over 22 years old. And you still remember it like it was like and it was I, yesterday. Like it was yesterday. I still remember it. I share that story a lot. And that's one of my, that's one, you know, Given that my tenure in this industry, you don't remember every damn thing you did or said, but that one I remember. And so, the, you know, and you you guys have all heard the excuses, you know, somebody finds a, be, a better paying load. They call you up and say, hey, my truck broke down or the driver, you know, sick or whatever. And, and knowing good and damn well, they're just going to go get a more expensive load. So it's, you know, there's people think they're pulling the wool over uh, over shippers eyes and everything's been kind of done to death from an excuse standpoint. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you know, you what's going come on. up with new excuses. And I say this to a lot of brokers. Um, actually, my boss said probably the funniest thing I've ever heard to a broker. I don't know, four or five months ago, we had a driver who uh, his contact fell out of his eye and it was approaching nighttime and he didn't have any spare contacts. And we had to tell the broker, Hey, um, I'm sorry to do this to you at this time, but the driver's physically unable to, to get to the shipper. And the broker said, okay, fine. You guys are off to load. You're on do not use. We'll never work with you again. And because they thought we were lying to them. And my boss told the broker, like, like you think I don't want to make money. You think I want to pull my truck off of this. And, and even if I was lying to you, who can come up with that type of an excuse? You know? Exactly. Um, and that, and I've, so. told, I've told carriers that usually the ones that frustrated the hell out of me, I said, you know, at least come up with an original excuse. At least entertain me while you're screwing me. <laughs> I mean, but that's where what it really boils down to. Like, I'm I'm obviously very honest if I have issues on my loads, but it always comes down to the same thing. I'm stuck on my delivery. I got a flat tire. So it's it's always the same excuse because it's like the same three things that can go wrong. There's not so many things that can go wrong. It's either a breakdown or you get stuck somewhere. That's like the only two things that are really gonna happen. So I just wanted to bring yes. not, not to go too far off topic, but we missed the 
missed a question here. It looks like Chris asked, John, what are your thoughts on the market heading into 2024? Ooh. Ooh. As a, I would, I will give you two predictions and I, I hope like hell they're both wrong. <laughs> um, best case scenario, freight picks up second half of 24. Worst case scenario, 25. And, and the thing about it is, and you gotta, you, you gotta kind of, it, it's like watching, it's like watching the weather. Okay. You get, you, you look around at the signs, you can tell the storm's coming, right? You know, the wind picks up, you know, the, the limbs are blowing and, and freight's the same way. And if you've been in it for a while, you can see, you know, you see patterns, you see cycles, you see all kinds of stuff. And then of course COVID-19 comes along and just really screws your whole thought process up all together. Uh, but you know, the, the biggest thing I tell people is, you know, just about everything in the United States is hauled by truck. And if freight is low, then consumer confidence is low because the people just aren't buying as much as they used to. Now, you can blame the, the, the subsidies the government sent out during COVID and the fact that people were at home because e-commerce sales went through the roof. So trucking was, was, was pretty good. And now that's not the case. The, the subsidies have dried up. Uh, everybody's starting to kind of claw back into the office. And I'm not saying there's not pockets of the country that are, that are, that are not busy. They are. But until consumer confidence picks up and people start, you know, buying more stuff, the volume of truck, you know, volume of loads is just not out there. Not as a, not as a country as a whole. The other piece of it is, is during COVID, you had all these guys who were, thinking they were going to get rich quick, grabbing MCs, you know, trying to get that four or five dollars a mile or whatever crazy number that was. And they didn't build any infrastructure. They didn't, you know, put any of the, that money away. So now what you're seeing is you're starting to see, you know, a, a larger exodus of carriers going out of the marketplace, which over time will help uh, it will help the market because it's all supply and demand. And if your supply dries up, then your demand and your demand stays the same, then the rates go up. So that's kind of my two cents. Like I said, I, I hope I'm wrong on the 24, 25 prediction. Um, it's not something I want to say. Um, typically the cycles before COVID, you know, it would always be a, you know, one time it's the shippers on top. Next time it's the carriers and brokers on top. And then it would flip and it would flip and it would flip. And over time, you see that, you see that cycle. And before COVID, the cycle was somewhere between 12 and 18 months. So about every 12 to 18 months, given them, you know, not including natural disasters and FEMA, FEMA sucking up all the trucks. But by and large, every 12 to 18 months, you saw the cycle, you know, it would flip. And post-COVID, you're probably looking at more of a 24 to 36 month cycle. So it's it's longer and it takes more, it's harder to get out of and get turned around. So, you know, I think we're all in, honestly, I think we're all in uncharted waters. I know I am and I've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the experience that I had going into COVID didn't benefit me at all. No, I'm happy to hear somebody who's been in this industry a very, very long time finally be the one to say publicly, like, this is uncharted water. This is like basically a historic event unfolding before our eyes. 
And I mean, we see every single day, everybody says, oh, it'll be first quarter. It'll be nothing until 2025. And I mean, we're, we're all just spitballing ideas here, but a lot of people seem to have facts to back it up. A lot of people are, seem to be pretty certain about these predictions, but I'm happy to finally hear somebody say, you know, what? I've been doing this a long time. I've never seen anything like this. It's really, you don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, the, the thing, the thing that I would look for, and, and again, it's, it's, it's taking the signs that are out there and trying to understand, you know, is the market going to pick up sooner or is it going to pick up later? You're never going to get the exact date, right? Because you're absolutely right. Everybody's just kind of guessing. But one of the things I do check is flatbed capacity. And you say flatbed capacity. John, you don't use any flatbeds. Nope, sure don't. Don't use a one. <laughs> not a French single one. <laughs> French fries do not do well on a flatbed. If you ever, if anybody ever asks you, you, you have the answer to that question. However, however, housing starts are typically one of the first barometers of the of an economic turn. Okay, when housing starts going up, that's the beginning that the economy is on a good track to go up. And what hauls most of the construction materials? Yeah. I've heard this argument so many times that the flatbed market dictates a lot of things. Because like even when I was dispatching a lot of flatbeds, um, that was when the price of lumber was through the roof. And, you know, people weren't really ordering lumber. People weren't building much because I think I can't remember the, the numbers, but lumber, I think we all remember it was up like 500 percent at one point, maybe one, two years back. So, I mean, the flatbed industry, like you said, it hauls all the construction materials. It's definitely a good indication of, uh, you know, how things are going to unfold. You, know, you, you just you just start looking for barometers. I mean, they're not going to pinpoint the exact time it's going to happen, but they are going to let you know it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, this comment's a, a little bit out there, but it made me laugh at <laughs> I'll read it. John, I always provide the option for reach around when I'm screwing the shipper because I care. <laughs> Yeah, good, good, good thing we're not in the uh, logistics industry, right? <laughs> There's another funny comment. Somebody told me I sound like Patrick Mahomes, uh, chief fan, way up here at 407. Um, but uh, kind of getting into the into the pricing because we're talking, you know, about about the market. I kind of wanted your thoughts, um, you know, on two different things. You know, how are you kind of positioning yourself as a shipper? you know, for kind of this market. Um, and then, you know, what kind of, obviously you're, you're an analytical guy. You guys have to study this. You have people to report to. I mean, is there a general, you know, margin that you think is, is fair for, you know, brokers, um, you know, carriers, um, or, you know, like, I guess kind of talk about how quality goes in there too. Cause I mean, there's a, there's a couple different ways to, do things from a shipper standpoint in terms of you know, pricing and planning. And, and let's just kind of maybe you want to touch on that. Sure. Um, on the margin side of the house, I really don't get involved with that with a carrier or a broker. That's per, uh, my opinion. That's their, that's the, their business to figure out, but you can, you can test a market, you know, with an RFP and, and you can, you can see some of the rates if you've got, you know, if you got a kind of a middle of a pack group, that's probably a sustainable rate. Uh, obviously, the one that's way at, you know way high up on the scale that's that's not good, and then one that's way low on the scale that's not good. So, 
usually we throw out the outliers and, and search for in the middle of the pack because, you know, we want, we want to rate, you know, we want a longer term rate. Okay. We don't want you coming back to us, you know, after the first two or three loads and saying, Hey, I'm losing my shirt because I, di- I didn't bid enough or I didn't do this or I didn't do that because it's a hassle. You know, we want to be kind of, you know, put it in, put it in place and then wait for the next RP. Now there's other things that you can do uh, as a shipper and you can partner with your carriers on this actually. And one of the things, you know, I'll tell people the cheapest rate is not always the cheapest rate. Okay. I was, uh, I don't know if you saw my post, Matt, on LinkedIn the other day or not, but soft cost scare the crap out of me. Okay. Cause you can't measure them and they're very expensive. And if we have to sit here and, you know, we, we give it to the cheapest carrier and then we have to babysit the load and then we have to repower the load and then we have to do this and do that all the way, all the way down to paying the invoice. It could eat my lunch and soft costs and, and the savings you made on the rate doesn't even, doesn't even come close to cover. I mean, as somebody who doesn't know much about really what you guys are talking about in depth, what is soft costs or what are some examples of soft costs? Examples of soft cost is, is, you know, if I give you a load and you don't, you know, you don't follow up and give me, you know, updates and I have to call you or if, you know, if you let's take the detention question from earlier in the hour, you know, if you request detention, but I still have to go back and say, okay, give me some more detail. Give me in time. Give me out time. Give me your point. If you have to constantly go in back and forth, soft cost is basically labor that you have to pay for. Yeah, like avoidable labor. Yeah, avoidable labor that you have to pay for that you don't see any mutual benefit from. I call it baby. I call it babysitting a broker, babysitting a carrier. <laughs> you call it whatever you want. So, you know, but there's, there's other pieces to this too. And this is something I don't, I don't hear a lot of. Okay. And, and it kind of concerns me. So let me give you an example. My, my last company, uh, you know, we, I think it was the back end of 14. We had a bunch of hurricanes come through the U S FEMA sucked up all the trucks. Capacity was tight. We were, we were literally paying bounties on trucks. If you can believe that. And we couldn't find capacity. So we started, we started looking at our network and there were ways that we could convert over the road to intermodal. And we get basically this, almost the same transit. So it was almost single driver transit. And one of the things we did was we started looking at, we were shipping to Walmart every week, 30, 40 loads a week. And most of them had to be delivered on Saturdays and Sundays. So they would ship out of the DC and Chicago on Friday. Well, that's, you know, that's a 40, 60, 65 load day. And you're trying to get them all out. And it's just, it's tough. And then meanwhile, at the DC during the week, Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays were just dead. No shipping or very little shipping. So what we did is we went to the distribution center and said, hey, we want to add a day of transit on each of these Walmart loads to um, and, and to give them enough transit to make their in, their in-home, their d- delivery day, and put it on the rail, and we just shove, you know, we, we, we drag it on and we drag it off, right? So we got instant capacity. We're paying a fair and a motor rate. We didn't drive any, you know, anybody's right through the floor. But what it also did is it 
balance the work week for the distributor because it's pushing freight back up to the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday when they were light and evening out the Friday. So all that overtime costs they were paying on Friday just went to straight labor. I mean, that's like a creative idea, to be honest. I mean, <clears throat> when you can't solve something the way you want to solve it, you definitely got to come up with something interesting. Um, I mean, I've not like... They always make the joke about railing loads, but this in this situation, it's like not a joke at all. It was actually a beneficial idea. Yeah, it's well, you know, it, it you know, Alex, it helps to be a redneck because rednecks are modern. <laughs> rednecks are, are are innovators. We have modern yeah. ingenuity. You know, we, we make stuff out of duct tape and bailing wire, so yeah. we fit right into this industry. We are always thinking outside the box. We're always looking at doing things differently, and you know just beating the crap out of people for rates is a, is a short-term solution to a long-term problem. No, I mean, it's true. I spent a lot of time actually out in the country about two years working some annual labor with, with proper rednecks. Like these guys live in the bush and uh, they'll find you a solution for just about anything with just about anything. So. That's, that's what I've done my entire career, man. Cause <laughs> you know, you know, impossible situations get brought up in this industry all the time. And you gotta, you know, you don't get a get out of jail free card. You don't get to walk away. You gotta solve them. And so I've come up with some pretty, pretty crazy stuff, but it worked. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's I think, fair to say. Yeah, I, mean, I think you brought up a good point too. I mean, you're coming up with these creative solutions with overtime, all this other stuff, and it kind of goes into your soft cost. If you have a broker, it's a cheap, cheap rate, but he's tying up your your team all day with, you know directions this request this i mean that takes away from you actually you know doing that type of strategy stuff yeah and, and like i said i've always had small teams and you know every hour we have is critical i mean you, if you think about it like this, this this the organization i currently work for we have almost three thousand restaurants coast to coast and there's only me and two other people on my team and you guys are, you're over a billion dollar, billion dollar company, right? I think I looked it up the other day, billion, yeah. two billion, somewhere in that range. Somewhere um, in there, yeah. I don't know how relevant this question is, but um, it was kind of a question regarding regarding claims. Um, so they were asking, Carrie was asking how to get their money back from, uh, you know, from a claim. I mean, if you want to maybe touch on, you know, claims a little bit and kind of how brokers can and carriers can proactively deal with claims and, you know, maybe how, you know, some wrong ways to deal with claims. I don't think the actual question you'd be able to, you'd be, but just kind of touch on claims in general. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, I'm going to answer this question and then I got to jump off because I got another meeting that I'm going to be a few minutes late for okay. on, on claims. Um, take lots of pictures and when i say lots of pictures basically you're 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 doing an investigation right you're trying to solve you know <laughs> what happened to this to this this pallet or this case or whatever and it was funny my last job i always got a really good shot of the trailer number inside the trailer and then all the photos went to shit after that and you couldn't tell anything well i'm 500 miles away or I'm 2000 miles away and I'm looking at a set of pictures and I'm trying to figure out what happened. And I can't because the person who took the pictures didn't basically explain the story. You know, it, it all happened a certain way. And 
their photos don't tell me how it happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, 100%. I'm a, I'm a pretty logical guy. I can follow photographs. You know, I can look at pictures. You know, I can't read words, but I can look at pictures. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can figure out it. You know, it may take me a minute. I may have to go outside and, you know, change my mind a bit, but I can, I can, I can figure stuff out, but you got to give me some decent photos to work with. You know, like they would take, like, I'll give you an example. Okay. Let's say your shipper doesn't shrink wrap the freight to the pallet. Well, well, you know what's going to happen. The driver's going to have to slam on his brakes because some idiot four-wheeler pulled in front of him. The cartons are going to slide off the pallet, and they're either going to fall or they're going to be off-center or whatever. But whoever took the picture never took a picture of where the freight met the pallet. They just took a picture of the top of the pallet. So how do I know if the if my vendor didn't shrink wrap it? You know, and I can't, I can't take, I can't take that photo back to my vendor and say, okay. Next one gets shrink wrap better, or you're gonna pay for it. Yeah, I think carriers honestly wanna they're they're quick to blame shippers and brokers for a lot of claim issues, but I mean it really comes down to the fact that the dispatcher, the carrier company, or you know we have to pay attention to what the drivers are doing. The drivers, like you said, if you see the pallets not shrink wrapped right, you're probably gonna see that unless it's sealed before. And even if it's not, you have to be able to prove your story, you know. And I feel like a lot of carriers want to just blame everybody, but they don't have the right pictures. They don't have the right evidence. And it's hard. Like you said, it's an investigation. How are you going to prove your story if you can't explain it correctly? So, yeah, no, 100%. Those, those pictures are your day in court, basically. Yeah, literally. That's all you have. That's your only proof. That's the only way. If your driver didn't take pictures, it sucks, man. You're going to pay for, for the restack. You're going to pay for the damaged product. That's how it is. Exactly. Well, John, we uh, we appreciate you coming on. I know you got to get to your get to your meeting, and I hope you don't get uh, you know sixty LinkedIn messages after coming on here. So uh, I hope they're at least not copy pasted. Yeah, at least not yeah, copy pasted. Yeah. Have a good um, day, John. You guys have a good one. Thank you for having me on the show, and it's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, John. Well, that was uh, that was, I mean, that was uh, good. Wasn't exactly how we planned everything to go. We definitely had a bunch of technical issues. And uh, who was it? The the third guest. He had to load trucks on his own. Yeah, well, and that's, that, that's logistics. And that was the advantage, I guess, of doing a three panel. We kind of had one and a half. We had Jose for uh, on and off with technical issues. And um, you know, I think what we'll do is we'll probably just have Jose and Tony on. And maybe yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I'm sure the viewers just... were all all very yeah. excited for all these guests. And I thought in my head, too, you know, we'll just follow up maybe tomorrow, next day, whenever everyone has time to, to get the other two guys. John's, yeah, John's a great – you can talk to John for three hours, though. I mean, John's a, a wealth of a wealth of knowledge, um, you know, and I, I – uh, yeah, he, he's a really, really good guy. Yeah, I mean, that's my first time speaking to him. And I mean, I could do this show over and over and over again, just asking different shippers the same questions. I could do this forever. We could, we could keep this. We could have like a shipper Sundays, something like that. Yeah, once a week shipper uh, shipper show. Yeah, I mean, you um, can ask them all the same questions. You're always going to get a different answer. I mean, there's a lot of different a lot of different things you can, a lot of the same things you're going to get, though. I mean, of what not to say, what not yeah. to ask, um, you know, you know, things of that nature, but it's cool too, to hear, you know, I mean, John's just a billion dollar, you know, 
billion dollar you know company and he's been at it for 20 some years i mean he's seen seen a lot but it still all comes down he said what number one was communication number two was transparency slash integrity um i mean it's not over complicated to get you know yeah, like you can't customers. tell what he's like. You know, you can't tell the scale of his operation by talking to him. He's just so normal, so humble. Like you said he called himself a redneck, redneck engineering. I mean, it's hard to imagine the scale he's operating at with how how kind of chill he is. You know? Yeah, no, he's a really laid uh, laid back guy, and, and I think he brought a couple things up that are important to realize too. You know, when he said a ten minute phone call is, you know, he can't get he can answer ten emails in that time. I mean shippers are busy i mean he's solving the problems like he talked about about you know moving the freight on friday and the overtime they have a lot more problems to deal with than you know take every they took every phone call from a broker or carrier i mean <laughs> they have no no yeah. time during the day um so i i thought that was uh that was i'm cool gonna thing. definitely start saying that to people that you're eating up my soft costs and you're costing me too much soft costs so that's gonna be my new thing like whenever a driver is making me babysit them can't make it to a pickup I'm like, man, this is really digging into my soft cost fees for the week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what people don't, I mean, don't realize too. I mean, it's easy to get, you know, and I mean, I think there's probably in this market, I mean, there's a, you know, average margin, but even people who have insane margins, I mean, we, we you don't really know. I mean, his, the soft cost for somebody with a 25, 30% margin could be much less than somebody with a, a 10%. You know, is that person you know, knowing what they're doing and not having to email seven times asking the same question or, I mean, there's so, so much that goes into soft costs. That's always interesting that John, you know, John brought that up. So, I mean, it's cool to talk directly to a shipper um, and just kind of hear what, what they want. Um, I mean, it's all basic stuff. It's things you would think are kind of standard, but I mean, just if you want to get detention, just send it the first time with the in and out time, send it in one email. Don't make them ask you again for something. I mean, it's just little things that you would imagine everyone does. But every time I talk to people and hear things like this, it just comes into your mind. Like, I, like I just wonder how some carriers work, how some brokers work. Like, it just makes you think. It's like those warning labels, like, don't drink this dish soap. Like, somebody had to have tried it at some point. And it always amazes me that simple things like, hey, tell me earlier that you're you're gonna miss my pickup don't hide things from me like it just seems so elementary but i mean they always come up in every conversation it's elementary but it you know it, a lot of people don't do it I, I thought it was really interesting too what he said about don't ask me what my problems are i think a lot of salespeople think <laughs> well that's what discovery call is you have to discover discover the problems but what john's saying is and then this is why i have a real problem and you guys I probably say this way too often on LinkedIn. I'm probably make a post about it every every month or two because it drives me crazy. But that, that's why I really think KPIs and logistics, like the number of calls, the number of emails is the most, I'm not a fan at all. Um, and it's for exactly what John said. I mean, you, you need to research those things, you know, have relationships, you know, with cold storages, you know, go online. A lot of that's public information. It's not going to take you more than five, 10, 15 minutes to find that. You know, and then go email, call, LinkedIn message, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Um, but you got to find, you know, do your homework first. Yeah, I mean, I always found like, um, I we made a post, I think we talked about this a while ago, like even carrier companies started trying to introduce like uh, metrics, call metrics, inbound, outbound calling. And, I mean, I'm always at the bottom of those. Like you have to do your research. If you see loads, you know, aren't going to work, don't call them. I think just looking at, 
volume, you know, it's it's not a good indication of quality. And I mean, like you said, if you spend 15, 20 minutes before you make one phone call and you pick who you want to call and you research it, you might end up definitely in a better position than if you just go down a list and call every single number one by one and ask them, hey, what do you do? And I have no idea uh, about them. So. And a lot of it comes down to training. I'm kind of curious, though. I mean, uh, if anyone's in the chat or listening on LinkedIn, I'd love to hear what you kind of your kind of thoughts were from what John had to say or what you learned or what you thought interesting or um, see so if anyone's anyone put something on on the um, comments. I'd love to hear what you guys what you guys think. But I uh, yeah, that was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely uh, a fan of the shipper thing. Um, I think we've done what we've done one with a driver. We've had brokers. We've had uh, now we've had a shipper. I mean, what's really next for us? What are we missing? What we've had we we've had carrier. Um, we haven't had a driver, have we? We've had a trucking company owner. Oh, you forgot about Gabriel Scott, man. He's a oh yes, yes, we did have a driver. I He's an owner too, though. He owns a he owns a small fleet. Remember, it wasn't. Yeah, but he drives the. He truck, wasn't man. his truck that uh, that had the issue with the original claim. Um, but yeah, you're right. He is a he is a driver. Um, there is I mean, one think, driver on LinkedIn. You no, know, we did have the carrier owner too. Um, your your friend from Wisconsin or Minnesota. I yeah, but he's, he owns a trucking company. He's not a yeah. he's not a driver. No, but what I'm saying is, I thought we didn't have a carrier owner yet either, but we did. So there's a there's a carrier on LinkedIn. Um, I'm gonna try to get on the show soon. It's gonna be an uphill battle, but um, if he comes on the show, he's I think would be a popular guest. A lot of people would want to hear from. So well, that, that'll be in the works in the next couple of weeks. So. so I guess we'll go from here, try to get uh, your other your other two guests that we couldn't get today. And uh, we'll call it a day with this one and we'll follow up with uh, the new show. Oh, sounds uh, sounds like a plan. Um, we're thinking, too, we should mention this as well. I put a uh, a, uh, a tweet out there. Um, the chat. Oh, somebody said the chat is not live refreshing unless I post a comment. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, let's just add to the technical difficulties we're having today. Yeah. With a couple more of them. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Uh, we're not the greatest. Uh, greatest tech people. We're still trying to figure out what platform we should go on so we can get ourselves on Spotify and Apple Podcast and some some of the other things. But um, yeah, we I put a tweet out the other day. We were kind of debating, and Alex and I were talking about this too. So you know, DM us your guys' thoughts. But we've kind of thought about doing a family feud or. Uh, Jeopardy freight ver version, like bring a couple people on, come up with some questions um, or do a survey and you know, do something fun like that on a Friday, one of these days. Um, something that we're thinking about too. We'll see if we actually. Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people have DM'd me. I'm sure they DM'd you. Like keep messaging us, keep giving us ideas, tell us who you want us to talk to and bring us stuff. I mean, we're not, uh, I wouldn't call us professionals by any means. We're, we're oh, still the opposite of professionals. 10 episodes. We're still kind of trying to piece it together. Still trying to kind of find our, our place. And uh, it's been great just talking to people. And I mean, since we started doing this, so many people have reached out to me and just said, Hey, like, you should cover this story. You should talk to this person. Or can you ask this person this question? And I think it's cool that we have the ability to talk to, like I've never talked to most of the people that you brought on the show. And I think a lot of people don't even get the chance to, to be in rooms with these people. So it's definitely been a cool experience. Yeah, no, it's been a, been a lot of fun. I guess we never, we always forget to say this too. If you haven't followed us, you know, subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on, uh, on LinkedIn, Real Freight Talk. Uh, Alex is on Twitter now, too, guys. By the way, he's not very yeah, active not there, but he is very there. active at the moment. But uh, we'll we'll get there. We'll get brokers. 
Brokers after dark live from the cheetah is what Darren said. Darren always <laughs> Darren always keeps the comment uh, comment section uh, very entertaining. Yeah, Darren's my favorite. But anyways, let's wrap up this show uh, and uh, we'll follow up. Like I said, hopefully by the end of the week or early next week. Yeah, who knows? We might do a show on Friday too. We've we've been known to do some last minute uh, shows and do two two in a week. So we'll see. Anyways, have a good rest of your day, and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll figure it out. Sounds good. Peace.